One of the one of the most common um, questions that um, Bible skeptics ask me um, is um, is this, and perhaps you've had people ask you this as well: um, Why doesn't God just show Himself if He wants me to believe? Why doesn't God just show Himself to me? Have you ever had that question? Perhaps you have it that question um, in your own mind, or perhaps you've had other people ask it to you. I think um, uh, this passage not only provides a um, a bit of an answer for us, it also provides a moment when he did do that, doesn't it? Uh, So um, God reveals himself to Isaiah here in in chapter 6. This is um, Isaiah's encounter uh, with God. And, um, And perhaps Isaiah's reaction surprised us when God did that. Uh, He says, woe is me, I am ruined. Perhaps that's not quite what people uh, expect when they're asking for an encounter with God, uh, to to feel like their whole um, life is at an end. Um, Why does Isaiah Isaiah feel like that? Well, because uh, he knows, uh, he's in the presence of this almighty, perfect God, and he's so very far from perfect. Uh, that it would destroy him. Woe is me. We can't be face to face with God this side of heaven because of sin, the Bible says. God distances himself from evil. He can't, can't look upon evil, he says. So that's one answer to that question. Why, why can't God just um, uh, come to me? Uh, well, God distances himself from evil. And he only gave, gives a handful of uh, people in the Bible, the sort of experience that he gives Isaiah. We don't read of this happening very often at all. Um, but the amazing thing we get in this passage is um, that we can have an encounter with God through the words of God's spokespeople, his prophets, his apostles. So because God shows himself to Isaiah... We can meet with God ourselves. Um, Isaiah is, um, is a, a prophet. That means he's sent by God to speak God's words to his people. We're always tempted, I think, when we read stories or when we read things in the Bible, perhaps particularly, to read ourselves into uh, those stories. And I don't know about you, but I'm tempted to read myself as the hero. Whoever the hero is, I think, oh, maybe I'm like that. So we, we're tempted to read ourselves as Isaiah, but we're not Isaiah, okay? We're not Isaiah. You're not Isaiah. I'm not Isaiah. Um, but having said that, this is given to us uh, for our good. So we can learn an awful lot as we understand what Isaiah is saying and what, what happens to Isaiah. There are two big things, uh, I think, that, that we, we learn uh, from Isaiah chapter 6. The first is, um, as per the sheet, encountering the holy God transforms us. The second, different to the sheet, is that the word of God judges us. Okay, so an encounter with the holy holy God transforms us. And second, the word of God uh, judges us. So, encountering the holy God uh, transforms us. Um, We're not, as I said, uh, to expect to encounter God like Isaiah does here, but rather by understanding who God is as he reveals himself to us, by listening to 
what Isaiah says. Uh, and that's really important because um, our mental image of God, what we think of God as like, is by default all wrong. And kids, there's a space on your um, booklets where you can uh, draw or write some of the things that people wrongly think that God is like. Maybe you can come up with your own. But I think quite a few people um, in, um, uh, that, that I know think of God a little bit like um, a, um, a genie in a, in a lamp. Or a little bit like uh, Santa Claus. Or something like that. Or, or a, um, a, a slightly um, uh, kind of nice but weak. Uh, grandfather-type figure in the sky. That is very, very far from the picture that we're given here in Isaiah 6, isn't it? God is a lot bigger and better than we tend to think. Uh, Listen again to to what it is that Isaiah uh, sees um, when God reveals himself to him. I saw, chapter 6, verse 1, it's it's there on page 691 if you closed your Bibles. Um, I saw... The Lord, high and exalted, which means raised up, seated on a throne, and the the train of his robe, or the hem of his robe, filled the temple. Uh, Now, the the temple was a massive structure, um, way, way bigger than this. And the bottom of uh, the robe of God fills the whole thing. Um, Isaiah's point is, he's massive. He's so much bigger than we uh, think. He's on this um, great throne, and above him were uh, seraphim. Uh, Literally, that means burning ones. That's what seraphim means. Uh, Each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two wings, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts, the thresholds, that, by the way, is where you're meant to stand, isn't it, if there's an earthquake or something like that. They're the the things that that aren't going to collapse. The, The thresholds shook at the sound of their voices. And the temple was filled with smoke. So these great burning, flying angels, whose voices are so magnificent that that they shake this this great temple, even to its sturdiest bits. And they, they fill it with smoke. And in the presence of God, these glorious beings hide themselves. Hide their faces from him. Hide their their feet from him in humility. And what do these um, these great beings spend their time doing? Uh, These great powerful ones. Well, talking about God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. They they spend their time marvelling about how pure and perfect God is. His power matched only by his goodness. And the earth isn't big enough to to contain the glory of of a God like this. Because I wonder if you can even begin to draw a picture of of that kind of a thing. Isaiah's encounter with 
God, the, the real holy living God, is mind-blowing. I wonder, have you met this God? I don't mean, have you seen him with your eyes or, or in a dream? But have you personally come to terms with this God? Have you encountered him in your life? We need to. If we want to understand what the, this world is, is really about, we need to. If we want to understand what our lives are really about, we need to. This is the king on the throne in the middle of the world. The one who is running everything. Uh, the one um, who, who created us. The one who, about whom our lives are. If we want to understand anything, we need to meet him. Now perhaps when Isaiah meets this God, you'd expect him to say, wow, God, you're amazing. Perhaps to join in with the, the seraphim and say, holy, holy, holy God, the whole earth is full of your glory. But he doesn't, does he? We've already seen what he says. He says, oh, woe is me, I'm ruined. Why? Well, verse 5. Because, for, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You see, it, it, it's as Isaiah sees how great and glorious and mighty and perfect God is, that he realises deep down what he's like, how wretched he is, how far short he falls, how, how dirty he is before this perfect God. As he hears the words um, that the, the seraphs are speaking, these, these burning glorious angels, he, he thinks about the way he's used his words. And it's so out of keeping with God's majesty and God's holiness. As a prophet, it's appropriate that he says, my lips are unclean. The things he said, he knows that he can't stand before God with a shred of hope that he could possibly be worthy. He needs to be blotted out if the world is going to be worthy of a God like this. He knows. And so he says, woe to me, I'm ruined. If I think of the way I've used my words to hurt others, the way I've said uh, those thoughtless things that aren't really true, aren't kind, the words that I haven't said that I, that I ought to have said, I know I'm in the same boat as Isaiah, what about you? Are you? It's not just our lips as well, is it? It's um, all of the secrets of our lives. We, we don't want those secrets to be laid bare before anyone, do we? It's an, a, a scary thought. And so in front of this holy God, all that's left to us is to echo Isaiah's cry, I'm ruined, done for, hopeless. And so, um, as we read on, the beginning of verse 6 doesn't look very promising, does it? One of these 
uh, burning servants of God flew to me with a, with a live coal, a red-hot burning coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar, uh, where they, they burn up the sacrifices. And, um, and then verse 7, he, with it he, he touched my mouth. Imagine how terrifying this would be for Isaiah. He's just said, I'm ruined. And, um, and this burning coal is brought by this fiery angel. But Isaiah isn't killed. And this isn't some kind of hellish torture, verse 7. With it, he, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. And your sin is atoned for. This is how... An unclean sinner can be in the presence of God. His sin being burnt away, atoned for. Isaiah's salvation comes through judgment. It's one of the things we've been seeing as we've been working our way through this book so far. Salvation comes through judgment. As sin is burnt up, only then... Is a relationship with the perfect, holy God possible? Isaiah can meet the holy God and live because God's judgment burns up his sin. And, and more than just survive, this is a whole new life with a whole new purpose. Verse 8, and a whole new confidence. Uh, just over the page, verse 8. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? He'll go for us. And I said, Here am I. Send me. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Shrek. Anyone ever seen Shrek? Yeah? Do you know that bit uh, when um, uh, Shrek uh, needs someone to go with him? And, um, and Donkey is, is there, you know, jumping up and down and saying, Big me, big me, big me! And um, obviously it takes quite a long time before Shrek, Shrek finally agrees. So I imagine that this, uh, Isaiah being a little bit like that. He's like, Here am I! Here am I! Pick me! Send me! Well, that's because he's now been given a whole new pure life where he can please God. He can serve the living God who's at the centre of the whole universe, who is the reason everything exists. So um, as Isaiah encounters the Holy God, and he's convicted of his sin. He realises how wretched he is, how, how much he's stuffed up his life. And as he's cleansed of everything that's gone wrong, made pure before God, then he's filled with a desire to, and an ability to, serve God. Here am I, send me. So when we meet God truly, and those things happen to us, and in the Lord Jesus all of those things happen to us, we see God for what he's really like, and we begin to see what we're really like when we see what, uh, the difference between us and, and Jesus Christ, and, um, and we see our, our unclean lips and hands and hearts, and as Jesus takes away our sin through the, the judgment that falls on him on the cross, as sin is burnt away, then we are freed to please God. We're enabled to, to live for what we're designed to live for. 
to do something of real meaning and significance and value. To say to God, here am I, send me. That's the only thing in our lives that really matters, that's really meaningful. Serving God. Have we realised that? It's only as we encounter what God is really like that, that that would begin to make sense, that everything else begins to fade in volume. Serving God, coming to God and saying, here am I, send me to do what you want me to do. Perhaps you're thinking, okay, but life still has to happen. I'm pretty busy with whatever it is, work, kids. Um, How can I serve God? Well, the Bible answer is, with everything. God doesn't want... Perhaps some of you remember Pizza Man. If you don't, you can ask me afterwards. Some of you might remember Pizza Man. Anyone remember Pizza Man? The, the, the idea that we, we want to give God like a little slice of our life. Um, you know, perhaps the, the religious bits, the, the Bible reading, the going to church, whatever. God wants the whole thing to be serving him. All our decisions, all our words... All our thoughts, all our actions, for him, dictated by his word to us. So, if you're a busy person, your diary is very full, well, think about how you can work in a way that pleases God, work to serve him. How can you parent your children in a way that pleases God, not just the way the world around us does? How you can relate to your uh, neighbours and your your family and your your friends in a way that serves God. And in light of Isaiah 6, making sure your lips are are pleasing to God. Thinking about your words, getting rid of filthy language from your lips or gossip about other people that the Bible says has no place in the Christian life. Or slander, speaking ill of other people behind their backs. But instead using them using your lips for God's purposes. So telling people what God has said. Speaking the words of life that Jesus has given us to steward, to to share. Seeking to introduce people to to the word of God. The, the, The word of God made flesh, Jesus Christ. Giving them an encounter with this holy God. You see, serving God isn't really about joining a rotor, although that can be a great thing to do, a great way to, to spend your time. Really, serving God is about doing what God wants you to be doing. Giving some things up that you were doing, that you are doing, because of God's kingdom. Starting doing other things, because that's what God wants. Making time, taking risks, perhaps, to encourage a a Christian believer when they're struggling, or a Muslim neighbour, to think about Jesus, or or perhaps helping someone who's stopped going to church to consider coming back, or perhaps another child at school uh, to come along to joining the dots with you. If, um, 
if we've had an encounter with God and we've been forgiven and made new, then we'll want to use the new life we've been given to please God. Does that make sense? That's what's going on here in Isaiah chapter 6. Now, Isaiah's service of God is, is pretty unique. As I said before, we're not Isaiah. Uh, he's not us. And, and um, he's sent as the prophet with God's words for God's uh, people in the 8th century BC. At this time in salvation history, where the people have been going further and further and further away from what God wants for them. And, um, and his words um, are, are, are used by God to be the words of God for every uh, human being for the rest of time. Uh, these, these words stand forever. And uh, that's not true of, of us. But the words that he's given help us to understand our, our serving God. And the words that he's given are pretty shocking. They're pretty shocking for him, actually, I think. And that's what we get from his response, and, and also for us. And as, as, we, as we read them, just a, a health warning, I wonder if we're tempted to sit in judgment over these words and over the God who speaks them. Uh, perhaps we're tempted to feel that this doesn't sound like God is being fair or kind or whatever it is. It would be a terrible irony to sit in judgment over God's word. Because the message, I think, of the second half of the chapter is that God's word judges us. Okay, God's word judges us. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9. Uh, so Isaiah's just said, here am I, send me. He said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Isaiah, make the heart of this people calloused, hard. Make their ears dull, close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. And I say, for how long, Lord? The, the, the difficult thing for Isaiah to stomach here is that God is sending him to, to be a preacher who will not make it easier for people to believe and repent and, and come to know this gracious God, but rather do the opposite. Uh, that will harden their hearts and, and, and tighten their shut eyes. Sometimes... Um, it's possible to think of God, um, if we've got that kind of nice old grandfather in the sky attitude at all lurking within us, which probably we do if we listen to the culture around us at all. Um, if it's lurking anywhere within us, sometimes we speak or think as if God is there in heaven wringing his hands, wishing that, that if only someone would, would notice him and pay attention to, to what he says. Please get rid of any vestige of, of that attitude towards God from your hearts. This chapter paints a totally opposite picture of God for us and of his powerful words. In judgment on his people's rebellion, he sends his prophet to tell them that they will never understand, never really see. Um, Isaiah's job is to harden their hearts so that they won't turn and be healed. Did you notice that? It's a surprise. His word is coming to them to act in judgment on them. And perhaps um, as we read that, we think that sounds terribly harsh and terribly sad. 
that I, I think, I mean, I don't know what, what's the motivation of Isaiah's words, but, but I think that seems to me to be how Isaiah feels. He, 6 verse 7, he said, then I said, uh, for how long, Lord? Uh, listen to God's answer. He answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitants, until the houses are left deserted, the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away, the land is utterly forsaken. Though a tent remains in the land, maybe a tent will, 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 will get away with it. No, though a tent remains in the land, it will be again laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leaf stumps when they're cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. And the, the, the idea is, God says, I am going to wipe this land clean. The rebellion that the people were leading against God must be totally put down. Um, now, before we carry on, it's worth just remembering what Isaiah has already said, uh, for instance, chapter 2, chapter 4, uh, the end of chapter 1, and, and we'll say again and again throughout the rest of the book, uh, which is that, that God is a gracious and forgiving God who offers hope to anyone who will turn to him. It's not that God is saying he's unwilling to save. Rather, that his words of hope and forgiveness will only drive these rebels further away. That as he proclaims the way back to him, it will drive these people further away from the path to forgiveness. Isaiah would be met, God says, with stony indifference and incomprehension. And in order for these people, for God's people to be made right, everything would need to be wiped out. Everything except, verse 13, the holy seed, who is the stump in the land. Uh, it's just a hint of what's to come in, in the following chapters. That, that, that God is going to bring forth new shoots of life from this stump uh, that, that remains in the land. Um, uh, verse 11, chapter 11 of Isaiah talks about a shoot coming up from the stump of Jesse. Different, different um, Hebrew word for stump, but, but it's the same idea, this this um, uh, uh, re remains, the, the kind of desolated remains, will still bring forth new life. But the key thing to, to know here is that God's word judges us. Now, it, it might be um, tempting to think, well, poor um, people of 8th century Israel, um, what, what, what a rotten situation it must have been for them to have God's word coming in judgment on them. Uh, but we can't quite do that uh, if, we, um, if we read the Bible all the way through. We'll um, perhaps remember in um, Matthew's Gospel and Mark's Gospel, Jesus quotes this passage uh, when he's talking about how people respond to his words. Uh, he brings this into the New Testament age. He says... Um, and when he quotes this passage, he says he um, sows a seed uh, as, he, as he speaks words to people. He sows a seed. Some people are like, uh, like rock, uh, like a stony path. It just bounces off them. 
Others uh, receive it at first, but, but, it, but it can't take root or it gets quickly uh, choked off. The superficial responses uh, prove to be exactly that, superficial, they die away. And then there are some in whom the word takes root and, and produces fruit many times greater than what was sown. And his disciples, when he tells them this, this parable, they don't get it. They say, well, what do you mean by this? And Jesus quotes this chapter of Isaiah to explain. He says, um, I, I speak in parables like this to outsiders so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. In other words, Jesus is saying his word judges. His word divides. When people reject Jesus, his word hardens them. Makes them even more decidedly against him. Others who accept Jesus' words, are drawn closer to him by them. The word of God does the work of God. And here we see that God uses his word to do his judging work. The word of God does the work of God. His word judges. Perhaps you've had that experience as you've been trying to to share uh, the the gospel with, with other people. And perhaps you're, 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 you're trying to tell someone something, and, and it's just like they haven't heard you. They, they've decided in advance what it is you're saying, and whatever you say, you can't kind of steer them back to what, what it is you mean. Um, and and, and they, they just won't hear, they won't listen, they won't understand whatever you say. I feel like that quite often, actually. And it, it's immensely troubling. But actually, that's what God says is going to happen. God's word judges. It divides. Now, those who have rejected Jesus, who are bent on rejecting Jesus, will be pushed away from him by his words. So, today, what are we to do? What are we to do as a result of um, Isaiah uh, chapter 6 and, and the fact that God's word judges? Uh, firstly, two things I think. Firstly, we need to be careful how we are listening to God's word. Will you encounter the holy God like Isaiah does? Let him burn up your sins. Or will you turn from him, ignore his word, and in the process, find your heart becoming harder? find it harder and harder to turn around. There will be, the Bible warns us here, a point of no return if we do that. There's a point beyond which we will not be able to come back to God. There's there's an end to God's patience. That's why it's patience, not indifference. There's an end to it. I remember a conversation I had when I was... um, a student worker at a church, um, with a student who said, uh, an agnostic student, um, who said, um, well, maybe, maybe it's all true, but I don't want to 
think about it now. I want to live my life how I want to live my life now. And then maybe when I'm old, maybe when I'm um, about to die, then I'll believe in Jesus and be forgiven. Well, this passage, I mean, aside from everything else that's foolish about that, if God is at the center of life, the giver of life, then the life of him is always better. But aside from all of that, this passage is a warning that what that student thought would be easy for him to do will, at some point, become impossible. As we reject the word of God now, we will be hardened and blinded more and more until we're never able to believe. So be careful how you listen to the word of God. If you aren't following Jesus at the moment, perhaps you're not even sure you know, God's, God exists, well, take this seriously. Pray. Say, God, if you're there, and I don't know if you are, but if you're there, then, then open my eyes, make, make me see, unblock my ears, help me to hear. Soften my heart so, so that if this stuff is true, I'll be able to believe it and change my life to respond to you. Be careful how you listen to the word of God. This goes for us whatever, whatever age we are. Children, this is just as much for you as for the grown-ups. We need to think about how, how, how we're listening, uh, whoever we are. There are some questions to help you think that through. Perhaps you can talk about them with your, with your parents. So the first thing, be careful how you listen to the word of God. Second, more briefly, persevere in speaking the words of God. Like Isaiah, if we try and tell people about Jesus, we're to expect some people to reject what we say, and even to be pushed further away from God by what we say. That doesn't mean we're just rubbish at telling people what's in the Bible. Because that's what Isaiah was doing. He was pretty good at it. God's word judges. God's word does his work. We don't know what it'll do. Sometimes our words will draw people towards Jesus. And that's a wonderful experience. But that's not in our control. It's not up to us to decide what work of God our words will achieve when we're serving him with them. That's up to God. Our job is to be his servants. I imagine Isaiah wasn't very happy about the particular work of God that his words were called to do. I'm sure he would have loved his words to to transform everyone whom they met into faithful followers of, of the Lord Jesus. We just say what God has told us And we trust God's word to do God's work, even if it's not the work you would have chosen. Because God is God and we're not. As we introduce others to to, to the Lord Jesus Christ, some might reject, reject him, some will come to know him. But for us, we'll be serving God. That's what we'll want to do if we've had an encounter with the real, living, holy God. And we've being convicted of our sin, and we've been forgiven.